Here's the plan for Dual Threat today from The Ringer. I'm Ryan Rosillo. We're going to have Andy Staples of Sports Illustrated. He is going to join us. We're going to go through all the conferences because I spent a lot of time going through the conferences. Every team's non-conference schedule against other alleged big boys, power fives, and a sprinkling of teams that we respect in there. I expect the most complaints that I'll get from this will be that somebody will say, how come you didn't include... Well, San Jose State's not going to be included in it, but you understand the point. Like, there's going to be one fan base that's like, I can't believe you guys know that we played Memphis, right? Um, that could have been overlooked in today's prep on the legal pads out at the Casa in Manhattan Beach. So, I just went through everybody's, and, and I think as we start getting, if there's nothing more entertaining slash horrifyingly annoying than the angst about how your conference is perceived. And my overall point will be that I just. I think there's a lot of holes in a lot of these conferences. Like a lot of these, conf- most of the conferences have let us down. So I will uh, do that. We got Staples. We're going to take some questions from you. And also Drew Brees making history, most passing yards in NFL history. Before we do that, though, do you want an edge over Vegas? I'm scared to even read this. Download BetQL, the app you need to get an advantage this season. Discover value bets, line movement, and find out What bets the public backs with BetQL? That's right. That's Van Pelt's old thing. Fade the public. Actually works a lot. The best part, BetQL is free to download from your mobile device. Head to BetQL.co. Use the promo code DUAL. That's D-U-A-L for your three-day trial. Oh, so wait. I can just do this and then get a three-day trial? I'm going to do this as soon as I get out of here. Give yourself an advantage over Vegas and download BetQL. That's BetQL.co and promo code DUAL. We'll get to your questions in a sec here, but Drew Brees, all-time passing leader as far as yards in their win against Washington, and that's now 72,000 yards. And everybody, I always think it's interesting when you have a guy, and the cool thing being back at ESPN is that, because I was there every day, I ran into all these ex-athletes, and you know, some of them you become friends with and others hate you, but you go, all right, what's this guy like? What's this guy like? And Brees was somebody that, for the most part, everybody would just go, he's a really good guy. Like So it felt as if there were a ton of people that were incredibly happy for him. And it's a remarkable story because it's not that he was, you know, we sit here and we go, how unlikely is it that Breeze did this? And he's a second round pick. You go, well, Brady was a sixth round pick and he might be the greatest of all time. So we've had a couple of these things happen. Um, I could play the game of, of trying to, I don't know if it's knocking it down or just putting it in a historical perspective. Cause I think the day after is not the day to start asking where Bru- uh, Drew Brees ranks all time. Every one of us is going to do it, but it's, it's the wrong day to do it. It's the wrong. Cause the better thing would be in five years to ask this stuff. Cause now John Elway's getting beat to hell by everybody going, Oh, you know, like when I was younger and Elway retired, more people were saying, you know, Elway, physical traits, what he did, those Denver teams were met. He, he got to all those Super Bowls and then lost them and then wins two in a row to close it out. If you had said, hey, I think Elway's the best quarterback of all time when you put it all together, numbers, Super Bowls, and it's just raw ability, there weren't many people that were arguing with you when he walked away in 1998. And when I hear people doing it now, I hear Brady won, and Montana was always the number one guy. He's 4-0 in the playoffs, or excuse me, 4-0 in the Super Bowls. Montana, Montana, Montana. Um, Montana is now 18th all-time passing. <laughs> okay? Montana is, his last season, he's 38. So Brady, imagine if Brady retired three years ago. Imagine if I had gotten married six years ago. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> that's that's Joe world. Montana. So of the passing leaders, it's Breeze, Manning, and then Favre, Brady, Dan Marino, Eli, Roethlisberger, and Rivers. So that means if I include Peyton in this, although he's now been out of the league, this would be his third season out. Yeah, that's right. Breeze, let's, let's call Manning a contemporary or modern guy. One, two, three, four, five, six. Did you hear Rosillo's podcast? He counted the other day. It was sick. It was so good. He counted out loud to six. Six of the top eight passers are of modern era, and five of them are still active. Breeze, Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, Rivers. There's something to that. Is it okay to say that? Like, there's something to the fact that all these guys are modern because we know the game. We know that it's not just the rules. It's not just the penalties that we call now and the safety of the quarterback and all those different things. It's I think it has more to do with the offensive systems that these guys are running the entire time. So I'm happy for Breeze that he has the ring. If he didn't have the ring, he'd be Phillip Rivers. Then it also started making me think, wait a minute, imagine if Phillip Rivers had a ring, would he be Aaron Rodgers? Like, would we talk about Aaron Rodgers being better? So when I hear somebody go, okay, it's Brady, and then it's Montana, and then people put Favre up there, although Favre had some weird years there where he was totally reckless and just threw it to everybody, and then he comes back and he was basically an MVP with Minnesota in that first year. He was so good. I couldn't believe how, how great he was. When he came back, what, at 2009? Yeah, 2000. Yeah, he was 40 years old in 2009. So that Jets year, not as successful. But that's okay. So if you're going Montana, like we're already leaving Manning out of this thing. And how could Breeze be better than Aaron Rodgers if Aaron Rodgers, for how many years in a row, has been considered the best quarterback in the NFL? That doesn't make any sense to me either. So if you're putting Breeze ahead against Rodgers or ahead of him today, have you ever on any talk show at any point of the last five or six years said, I think Breeze is the best quarterback in the NFL? Six years? I don't know. I don't think I've I've heard anybody do that. It's a long time, but I think you're right. (laughs) I've heard heard guys go, I think it's Brady. I think it's Rodgers. I think it's Rodgers. I think it's Brady. I personally think Rodgers is the most talented of the quarterbacks. I think he might be the most talented that I've ever seen. But he's not going to have the resume of Brady. We already know that. And by the way, Rodgers, when you start looking at this resume, this resume, I went through it again this morning. The playoff losses that his defense have have just venom style attached themselves to his legacy. He's ten and seven in the playoffs. Do you see venom? By the way, Kyle, I did. I did see it. Sound excited about it? It was good and it was weird and it's great. Right. Tom I mean, Hardy hasn't let me down yet. Tom Hardy, don't see Locke. I already saw it. And you liked it. No, but he didn't let me down. He didn't let the you down. The whole movie is in the car. The Who whole the movie fuck? is him in a Who car and a speakerphone. It's atrocious. Actually, I got to stop I gotta stop making fun of movies and TV shows. I've had some people in business be like, hey, just you never know. You never know who you're going to be in the room pitching an idea to. And we're like, hey, Ryan, this is Tommy, writer, director of, of Locke. I'm like, oh. Um, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was a tough watch. Tom Hardy's in the, in the car the entire time. So if I run through Roger's resume here, playoff game log. Again, 10 and 7 for his career. Loss against Arizona's team gave up 51 points. Then they won the Super Bowl. Um, comes back that next year after the Super Bowl win. They lose to the Giants. They give up 37. Next year, they lose to San Francisco. They give up 45. Next year, they lose to San Francisco again. They give up 23. Oh, good job, guys. Seattle, They that was that weird game where they had the half lead. And then Rodgers wasn't very good in that game. And it ended up, yeah, Green Bay was up 16-0 at the half. Remember that game? That game was nuts. That was early four years ago. Um, 
more than four years ago because that was playoff time four years ago. All right, stop reminiscing. They give 20 up that one, 26 against Arizona two years ago, and then last year when they lost to Atlanta, they gave up 44. He is not the problem, but thank God Rodgers has that ring because I don't think I don't think people give him credit. Be a bunch it, of Phil Rivers out here. It would be, yeah. I mean, we got Phil Rivers left and right. I have an incredible Philip Rivers stat, if you'll allow me to um, read from my phone, because I took a picture of it. I don't know who put it up. There's a graphic. Uh, there's a picture of me and my shirt off. There's something wrong with a cabinet in my house. Here's a diet that I want to try. Okay, I can't find it on my phone, but... <sighs> To say that Breeze is right there with Brady and Montana, and I'm not killing you for doing it, okay? I'm not. But I have to ask, if you've had a show, did you ever say that Breeze was ahead of Rodgers? Because I think almost everybody has said that Rodgers is the most talented or at least the best, or people have had him only behind Brady. Breeze has lived in that tier one neighborhood this entire time. But as great as he is, I'm thrilled he has the ring. But I worry how we'd look at him if he didn't. It'd be very different. And it is okay to admit that of the current guys that are chucking it, the guys now are putting up numbers that we've never seen before. And then all these guys are going to get passed in another 10. Pat Mahomes is going to be on this list in four weeks. Matt Ryan is 15th all-time in passing in NFL history. You realize that, right? 15th already. Just ahead of Dan Fouts. How old is Matt Ryan? Like 20. I think he's 33. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Let's see how much of a weirdo I am. He is 33. Yeah, that was pretty weird. You got it right on, didn't you? That's because we did that who do you want in three years thing. Oh, and yeah, I remembered saying right. he was 36. There was one quarterback I kept saying is Nate. I think it was, it may have been Rodgers. I think I kept saying that Aaron Rodgers was older than he actually is. But Rodgers and I aren't as friendly as Matt Ryan and I are. Would you guess who would you guess that I'm the closest with amongst NFL quarterbacks? Phil Rivers. Never. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. I think I said Rogers was 36 on that three year projection podcast, and that was wrong. I don't know why. Like sometimes you're sitting there researching, you just write one number down wrong, and then it's something that's stuck in your head. And then I kept repeating it. Uh, that's why Aaron Rodgers actually may be the right answer, despite all the Pat Mahomes stuff. Three years, who do you want? Rodgers at 37, I expect to still be really good, and I expect his defense to be atrocious and them to lose in the playoffs earlier than they should, and then people will start saying, hey, what's this guy's problem? You go, because he doesn't tackle anybody. Um, the Green Bay is getting dangerously close to criminal lack of support, like not paying the divorce, the payments aren't coming in, deadbeat guy, but then you see him in a new F-150 driving around. Be like, oh, eating ketchup packets. Exactly. Well, no, but like, okay, so wait a minute, you're dating somebody and you get a new F-150 and you can't can't pay your child support this month? That's what the Packers are. And it bums me out because I think Rodgers is that great. Uh, Closest quarterback. Who am I the closest? Drew Brees, side note, 1999, your boy, Rusillo, DJ, Negril, um, and Breeze walked up and asked us to play some jams. And I was like, hey, Drew Breeze. And he was there with all of his Purdue guys. That's crazy. Yeah. And I've told, I've told him that story three times. And the third time, he's like, hey, man, you really like that story, huh? I was like, yeah. All right. I got to stop telling it. Oh, I was going to say, did it hurt any less when he didn't remember it? But he remembered every time? He remembered 
Well, the funny thing was when I recognized him at the thing, he was like, man, he goes, nobody, nobody recognized me. He goes, you're the only person that's recognized me. Drew Brees? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I was like, yeah, whatever you guys want, you know, let me know. And I'll, I'll put on tunes for you. Pick the jams. What do you guys want? Scrubs? Or you want pigeons? Let me know. And he was really nice. And he's been nice ever since. And I, when I went down to New Orleans and I did the Super Bowl shows with Van Pelt, and he totally called me out. And I don't know why I ever did this, but I bought a fake Panerai. Uh, I, that's so not me to have a fake watch at all, but I wanted one for travel if I was traveling the places that were somewhat sketchy. And ironically enough, a watch was stolen. So then I threw on the fake Panerai and then he looks, he's like, oh, sweet Panerai. And then within two seconds, Breeze goes, that's fake. Oh, And I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, why would you wear a fake watch? He was really giving me the what for. And I just said, well, I got to tell you, you know, being here and we're in New Orleans for a bunch of days. I, yeah. And he goes, what are you saying about my city, man? And he was, he was kind of like annoyed. Are you and serious? I, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't want to be like, well, because my, the real one was actually already stolen. By the way, I got it back. So that's a whole other long story. But yeah, I think a third event, you know, I thought I was staggering him out in enough years. Okay. And I had interviewed him a million times. And it's something I fixed in the last few years that I'm not as close. And I've, I've definitely... You just know, like Drew Brees is like, hey, dude, cool story. I'm psyched you have your little radio show there with Van Pelt. We're <laughs> not buddies. <laughs> and, you know, you can say hi, but I don't I don't need the third reminder over the six or seven year stretch. Be like, oh, you were in the grill with me. Yeah, we yeah. weren't in the grill together, actually. <laughs> like I was a guy slinging it in the Big Ten yeah. before the spread stuff even took it off, Tiller style. And congrats on your little gig there with the with the mig, you know the mini discs cool and story, you guys bro. scratching it every now and then. And I appreciate you pointing out the inflatable trampoline, but I'm a future Hall of Famer with a bunch of kids and investment opportunities left and right. I know we're at the same ESPN gala, but it's not that interesting to me. Like we have, you got to come with some more heat next time. Yeah, we have different lives. Like I'm three years younger than you, dude. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Drew Brees segment. I'll get to a couple questions. We haven't done this before, so it's just going to sort of be live that we'll do it. Comedian Anthony Jesselnick and best friend and NFL analyst Greg Rosenthal once had an NFL podcast called The Rosenthal and Jesselnick Vanity Project. The show ended, but hope remained they would one day return. Great news. They're back. Now part of Comedy Central's podcast network. Anthony and Greg will discuss sports, current events, and everything in between. Jesselnick's just ruthless, right? Like, how does that guy do, like, if you don't go for it on fourth down and that's Jesselick's favorite team, does he just wish death upon your family members? Because he's a, he's the guy in the roast that's just, yeah. He's anything a killer. goes. He's a yeah. killer. Yeah. yeah. He just torches humanity. You have to um, think about it before you realize how hurt you are. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. You really just made fun of a relative who died? <laughs> Sorry. The Rosenthal and Jesselnick Vanity Project is dead. Long live the Jesselnick and Rosenthal Vanity Project. Oh, so they changed the uh, the names around. I guess, I don't know, is one guy more, more famous than he was when they first named it? That was real classy. Yeah, catch new episodes every Tuesday night wherever you listen to podcasts. Good luck to those guys. Okay, we got a little music for this one. So I'm going to just go live with these. Are you ready for this? Is this... This could go bad. I got, there's a million of them. I didn't think it was going to go this. Thoughts on Josh Rosen so far? Like what I see. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, should I be concerned? This is from Don. Should I be concerned that Sam Darnold has a tendency to sail his throws? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, tell them to stop sailing them. Um, I still am... If I had a gun to my head, which would be dicey, and we probably wouldn't be talking football if I did have a gun to my head in any kind of situation, but say I did, and the guy's just a huge football fan. Some of those ACC guys. Yeah, and he just goes, hey, right now, bro, Sam Darnold or Baker. I still think I'm in the Sam Darnold camp. I do. Wow. I know, which no, like that's just not cool anymore because Baker's going to let it. I didn't even think Baker's overall numbers were really good this past weekend in another win by the Browns, but I didn't, watching it came out, I didn't, I didn't love everything I saw from him either. But again, it's his first career start, so what am I doing? I should just shut up about the whole thing. But I, it's shifted so quickly from Darnold, that week one win against the Darnold. Uh, the Darnold. Darnold. The Lions. <laughs> he really hates his family. <laughs> Going up and beating the Lions. You're like, oh my God, Jets. Here we go. 10 wins, 11 wins. Will they be home in the Super Bowl? Um, and then as soon as he lost to Baker, as Baker stepped in for Tyrod, it's just, it'd be like one whole entire group of people stepping from one side of the ship to the other side of the ship if you're into yachting references um let's see here's texas back <laughs> not the houston texans i'm trying to think trying to think trying to think okay when do you think it's smart to go for it on fourth down it seems like a lot of times people only think going for it is smart after it works or it's dumb because it didn't no way that's exactly what happens it happens all the time i didn't love the rams necessarily going for it i just didn't on their side of the field against Seattle, maybe one first down, and then you've, you've lost the game. It's really easy to sell on all of this stuff where it's like, oh, you know, he believes in us, and that means now moving forward we're going to be amazing. Um, I really thought when Houston did it, it was incredibly stupid because they did it at the end of the first half against Dallas. That's the time I didn't like it. So it was it was fourth and one right there, and they ran shotgun. And Jalen Smith also had help from another lineman that was shading to the left. So they were able to cut off Deshaun and, and stuff him. But at least if you're going to go for it on fourth and one at the one, go for it when it's not at the end of the half. Because now you have your defense with them pinned, having to go 99 yards. And the odds are, if you look at those numbers, is that you're still expected to kind of get like 2.7 points. I don't love all the win probability stuff. I make fun of win probability all the time. I don't love the chart because I don't think the chart says, hey, we, we can't block the left defensive end and we don't trust our quarterback. Should we go for two? You know, like there's there's just different. It shouldn't just be I'm up six. What do I do? Give me the chart. It should be relative to how you feel about your team, how the game flow is going, how many more possessions you think you're going to get, all that kind of stuff. And I don't think the chart is the end all be all. But if you're going to go for it on fourth and one at the goal line, and if it's only a one score game, you know, make it a two score game, first of all. Or I guess I shouldn't say that because if it's three, then it's six. There's a lot of math on this question that I wasn't expecting, but I just, I don't like the Bill O'Brien one was really bad because then you don't get the benefit of having great field possession because it's the end of the first half. I should have just said that the first time. Do you like Nick Saban? You know what's <laughs> funny is I have a Nick Saban story about going for it. When Nick Saban was with LSU, they're playing Tennessee, SEC title game. They'd given up. I could go back and research this. I'm not because I'm just not because it's all like this is just free flow. This is how we do it on the mail question on Twitter at Ryan A. Rosillo, by the way is that they had gone down a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns, I forget, and Alabama went for it on fourth down in their own territory. Tennessee stuffed them, and then the defense held Tennessee to, like, they were already in field goal position by the time they took over, and Tennessee kicked the field goal, and his own wife, Miss Terry, she said to Nick after the fact, she goes, at that point right there, I was like, I can't believe he's doing this, and he just lost the SEC title game. Like, he just lost LSU the game, and... 
the question I think I posed to him, which was a fascinating question, just a brilliant job by me. I go, has there ever been a time where something that happened, a decision that you made that ended up being disastrous, but actually it was the precursor to something being terrific? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. He goes, because I went for it, we had all this momentum, even though it didn't work, that the fact that defense held them, that the whole sideline, everybody came alive, and everybody's like, you showed faith in us that we would be able to... Um, we would be able to to come back like that. Our defense would be good enough to hold and that our offense is good enough to still compete if we'd given up some points. So he goes, it actually totally worked out for us. Um, it's going to bug me if I don't look it up. So let's go ahead and look it up and double check what that score was. You know, because I don't want like a lot of a lot of I just want you guys walking around not knowing what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Uh I guess it was 2001 SEC title game. So actually LSU had scored, but I don't know, man. Nick Saban told me the story. He should know. He was the one that was there. All right. We're going to get Andy Staples here. We're going to talk some conference stuff and we'll do the mailbag rapid fire stuff. Maybe a little bit more organized even the next time around. There is a lot of debate though about all that fourth down stuff going on. And whenever it's just a straight math, I'm like, I don't know. I think there is a flow to it, but we just, we love doing this on talk shows. Because McVeigh's terrific. The Rams are great. I don't think there's any question you could put anybody ahead of them in the NFL power rankings that are pretty useless for the most part. They usually are just a reflection of standings. But the Rams deserve it. And, uh, you know, there's no there's no knock against McVeigh. And I don't know if the Rams use ZipRecruiter to grab McVeigh. But it'd be smart to do it. Because you know what's smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's a powerful deal here. It's got this awesome matching technology that scans thousands of resumes. They identify people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so that you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. From Sports Illustrated, a little college football with Andy Staples. Andy, at the top, it looks like it's becoming too predictable. But, you know, we both ran around long enough with this that you don't want to just say, oh, it's Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson. We don't know that it's two SEC teams. Notre Dame has to be mentioned with this now at 6-0 and and a schedule that looked really daunting before the season started. Now, not so much. And they've rolled through halfway of it. I guess how open of a mind, I'll start there, how open of a mind do you have that we could see something really surprising in the four that play for a national championship? It depends on what your definition of surprising is. If you told me at the beginning of the season we'd be talking about Notre Dame right now in the playoffs, I would have been surprised. So, you know, I, I think if Notre Dame can get in, it adds a whole new dimension to it. And and in terms of liking chaos and liking people crying about the playoffs, which I do, I love it, uh, seeing Notre Dame get in would be a lot of fun. Um, as far as the, the other ones go, it, you know, here's the thing. Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State have been the most consistent programs for the last 10 years. And it's not, it's not their fault that they've been consistent. It's everybody else's fault for not keeping up with them. Uh, you know, we talk about Georgia like it's, a, you know, it's assumed that if two SEC teams get in, it's Alabama and Georgia, and they play, you know, they play at 12-0 in the SEC championship game. Uh, so remember, Georgia was in the Liberty Bowl two years ago. So... You know, let's say Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. And I know 
the idea of Alabama losing, given what we've seen, is is crazy. But Alabama hadn't played anybody decent other than Texas A&M yet, so we don't we don't quite know how good Alabama is. But we have a a pretty good idea that they're they're pretty special because we just haven't seen this kind of offense from a Saban team yet. The fact, and I was looking through it the other day, that they've now been ranked number one in eleven straight seasons. It's just. I, I know we probably run out of ways to talk about what Bama has done. I had this theory this weekend that I thought of is that usually a coaching turnover ends up burning you and catching up to you. I wonder if in Alabama it's different and that it's the reverse, that the coaching turnover is perfect because they don't have the same group there. There isn't as much complacency. And because you're working for the guy, knowing if you're successful one or two years with Saban, it's going to lead to much bigger things, that every assistant that goes in there, it's the best version of themselves. And in a way you're getting, even though this is just, it's not supposed to happen in sports. It's it's the greatest run in modern history, but the turnover is a positive for Alabama. I think it's a pretty good theory, Ryan. Here's why. First of all, Nick Saban is going to make you uncomfortable for a reason. He's going to make everybody in the organization uncomfortable because he doesn't want anybody to be comfortable and complacent. Now Saban will tell you the hardest thing to do is deal with the turnover because if you choose incorrectly on a coordinator, you've got a big problem. But the thing is now, because if you are a good coordinator at Alabama, you become a head coach, or heck, if you're a good offensive line coach at Alabama, you become the head coach at Oregon uh, a year or two later. Right. Uh, why you It becomes almost a self-selecting sample. Like, I know I'm going to be a head coach if I do a great job at this for two years. So think of the people who want to apply for those jobs or, or who would be interested in those jobs. I mean, if it's a, almost a fait accompli that you're going to be a head coach at the end of a, a certain period of time, the best people are going to want those jobs and, and they're going to put up with whatever they got to put up with to do them. And, and I don't, I think Saban, you know, he's been, now free to kind of ratchet things up on those guys because he knows where they can go if they perform. And then if they don't perform, he's just going to jettison them. He's got the bolt. He's got the bullpen there. You know, he's got the deepest bench in college football because it, you know, Nick Saban's home for wayward coaches. After you get fired and you're living that buyout life, you go become an analyst there and you're either, either washing your reputation, learning some stuff about running a program or getting yourself ready to slip in, to an on-field role at Alabama, which can catapult you back to where you want to be. It's a pretty crazy system he's got going. This past weekend, I felt like it became a, well, look what happened to Auburn. You know, look what happened to LSU. You know, look at Kentucky even. And the anti-SEC group that's out there, and it just makes sense geographically that there's going to be a larger portion of the United States that's sick of hearing about the SEC. And I've always felt like during that seven-year run with four different teams, that was incredible. They deserved all of that love. There were a couple times, probably four or five years ago, where I thought the SEC West was just insane. I think Arkansas finished last one year at seven and six. And then they had a couple years ago, you know, Ole Miss got blasted. Like all the SEC West teams ended up losing, and it's like, okay, this thing's incredibly overrated. And I, I had gone into some years going, all right, maybe the Big Ten is better. I've even had times where I felt like I was the only one sticking it for the Pac-12 nationally. 
And then I'd go, you know, the Big 12 is kind of top heavy, but man, the, you know, those are four or five really good teams. And then that would fall apart on me. So now we're kind of back to this SEC thing where I still think last year, even though they're more top heavy than they've been, I don't think the depth is there. The East has been kind of a mess now for a while. If so you, the East is coming back now. It, it is, sort of. Um, what, but, I mean, but, but part of the East coming back is, the, is it's no longer that the, the, the worst team in the West is still pretty good. Like the worst team in the West is bad now, right? Arkansas, which that opens up more wins for the East. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that you know, compared to the East that we that we used to know about, you know, where you're going, oh my God, you know, Tennessee's a tough out, no matter who they are. Florida is, you know, I still look at Florida as you know, maybe this past weekend was a sign of something, but I don't think you guys have it at quarterback, and I think the defense is filthy. And stop me if that sounds familiar. Um, I know South Carolina's getting yeah, badly I've back. I've heard that story a few times over the last couple of years. <laughs> right. So, so, so all right. I, I'm with you. And here, here's the deal with the SEC relative to everybody else. There was a period where everything everybody said was true. And that was like 2010 to 2012, where the West was just ungodly stacked. Like the worst team in the West was still pretty good. 2010 was the year that, that Mississippi State finished fifth in the West and 15th in the country. <laughs> it, it, after that, it became where it was over, a little bit overrated. The Big Ten got much better with the addition of, of Urban Meyer and James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh. Uh, the ACC got much better. But now, as those things go in cycles, it's, it's cycling again. The ACC is having a down year this year. Uh, I think the Big Ten is, is very good at the top. I think the Big 12 is very good at the top. But the Pac-12, is, is it, it's, it's turned these last couple of years to have some kind of down years. And I think that's kind of my point is that if you're worried, oh, here we go again with two SEC teams being flirted as, as a national title game like we had last year and we've had before with LSU, then mm-hmm. then give me then give me the conference that's really stepped it up. Because I went through everybody's out of yeah. conference this morning and I, I did this rant already, so I'm not going to repeat it for the podcast. But as you just mentioned, the <laughs> ACC, forget it. And even the Big Ten. It's a, it's a bad year in the ACC. It's awful. The Big Ten. Okay, Ohio State. You guys, I, I never knock Ohio State for what they do. They challenge themselves every year. And I'm not like just, you know, laughing about playing Oregon State, but you know, look, they went and played TCU. So I, I always feel like if you're playing one other big boy kind of school and you're out of conference, then that's enough for me. And you know, I give you yeah. I don't even want to say give you a pass. Like I, I commend you for doing it. But this version of Michigan yeah, a pass. I mean, they were they were trying as TCU didn't quite live up to to what they were hoping they'd be. But I, I think I think the Big Ten could get two teams in. I think the SEC is probably the most likely to get two teams in, but the Big Ten's right there behind it. I mean, let's say Ohio State goes 13-0 and and Penn State beats every team left on its schedule by an average of 25 points. They might both get in. No, that's a good point to bring up. Penn State would end up having to beat, you know, number – like Michigan's sneaky number 12. So I guess my point on a lot of this stuff is that, yeah, some of these SEC rankings don't make a ton of sense. I always tell everybody, just go ahead and write down your own 25 and let me know when you start running out of teams because it's usually around 13 or 14. And a Michigan team that everybody's it's been that's off. That's a dirty secret. Right. It's hard to do. You're all basically the same. Exactly. So we get worked up about who these top 25 teams are, but does anybody realize Michigan's 12th, a team that everybody was dumping on the first two weeks of the season? Oh, you, you you didn't realize because they lost to Notre Dame that they stunk? Oh, wait. They, they might have lost to a playoff team. 
by a, by a touchdown on the road. <laughs> it's, it is amazing to me. That's the game I, I wrote about that over the summer. I said we will overreact more to whatever the result of this game is than any other game this season. And I'm glad they proved me right. Yeah, you nailed that one. So, do you think like is the ACC so bad that it could hold Clemson down? Would you rather be Clemson knowing you should be able to roll through this thing or have a committee looking at a conference that feels like, man, this this group collectively is much worse after Clemson than we thought. And you could even argue Clemson hasn't been as impressive as we thought they should be. I don't I don't like the idea of feeling like I have to go undefeated. I'd rather be in a league where I can take a loss and it feels this year like you have to be undefeated in the ACC to make the playoff. And maybe that changes. Maybe some weird stuff happens in, in late October and in November. But, I mean, it, at this point, who's going to win the ACC? Probably Clemson or NC State. You know, they, they play a week for Saturday, and, and maybe that decides the Atlantic. But, I, I mean, I feel like you've got to be undefeated. Now, Clemson's a little bit different animal because they – they do play Texas A&M in South Carolina, so that you know it looks like Texas A&M is going to be fairly decent. You know the, the Alabama result aside, uh, South Carolina we're not sure about yet, but they could be okay. Maybe that helps, but it certainly feels to me like the ACC is so weak that you need to be undefeated to to make the playoff. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it as much if I'm Clemson because, as you said, they've been Clemson, and the committee can yeah. pretend that you're not carrying anything over preconceived opinions about all this. It's impossible. So if it were NC state undefeated rolling through the ACC, more people in the room are going to go, ah, yeah, but the ACC really stunk. Like they're going to get well, knocked yeah, for it. Than Clemson. Go, well, we wish they, we wish they played West Virginia. Right. The game was canceled. Then maybe we'd yeah. know a little more. Speaking of West Virginia, do you think they win the big 12? I don't know. I, the, the Texas beating Oklahoma thing and the Texas looking like a consistently decent team now gives me pause. I, I, because I, I was Oklahoma all the way, and it would be Oklahoma and West Virginia in the Big 12 title game, but Oklahoma would end up winning it. But now Texas throws a wrench into things because Texas doesn't play the same game as Oklahoma and, and West Virginia do. You know, a lot of Texas games are going to be lower scoring. Uh, they're going to try to win with defense. Last week's a, 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 an example the other way because you just can't. I mean, nobody's good enough to stop Oklahoma's offense over and over and over again. Uh, so they were going to they were going to get their points. You have to withstand them and pray that their defense is bad enough that you can outscore them. And that's what happened, and it cost Mike Stoops' job. But I see Texas playing a lot more like twenty-eight to seventeen types type games, and. That's tough because then they become they become the changeup and a little bit harder to play than you know a team that plays a style almost exactly like yours, which is what West Virginia sees most of the time in the Big Twelve. So I think I think Texas being a contender changes the math completely on the Big Twelve. Their defense, at least you know, and they beat Tennessee week one. They beat up on them. Um, and that's good. You yeah. know, that's, that's good. That's impressive. You mentioned the NC state game. That was week three for them canceled, but the three big 12 wins are Kansas state who everybody's beating tech who can't stop anybody still. And then Kansas, dare I say a slightly resurgent Kansas at two and four. 
Hey, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. killed Rutgers. They so smashed Rutgers, the birthplace of it all. They beat, they beat Rutgers as bad as Ohio State beat Rutgers. So right, so how do, how do you think the committee would compare Kansas and Ohio State if it comes down to it? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all that really matters. How did, no, the, the West Virginia thing, the defense, I think, is better. They they got a couple grad transfers on the interior of their defensive line that really shore things up. Now, we will see when they play, because they have the November from hell. They have to play Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Oklahoma all in a row. So if you get through that, you've earned it. I mean, it's you're good. But my guess is they don't get through that. My guess is they lose at least one of those and have to play one of those teams again uh, the last week of the season, and then we see who wins. How did the uh, Pac-12 situation play out this way? Because I went through everything here, and what we thought was maybe the most impressive non-conference thing that they had was was a competitive loss against Auburn. Um, doesn't look as good now. I mean, I'm serious. Hey, like, come on. That was like the second best team in the SEC that week. But That week. Yeah, now now it looks completely different. You know, I, I watch Washington-Oregon this week. I'm very curious. I think I have a sneaking suspicion Oregon might be the best team in the Pac-12. And that they actually may be building into something that could be a national national contender in future years. Maybe not this year. Because as you could see with the game against Stanford, where they went out, you know, rolled over them for three three quarters and then gave it all up, maybe they're not quite ready yet. But they have the, the trend, you know, transcendent quarterback in, in Justin Herbert. They're getting better on both lines of scrimmage, which you have to to compete in that division. Mario Cristobal knows what he's looking for in offensive and defensive linemen. It's just that, you know, those are developmental positions, and it's, it's very hard to just throw guys in there. But I have a feeling that between the speed that was left over by the old regime and a lot of the beef that the new regime has been bringing in, this could be the program that rules the Pac-12 in the next few years. We thought it was going to be Washington, and it still may be because Chris Peterson is, is remarkably consistent. But my guess is this game, this Oregon-Washington game, becomes the game in the Pac-12. I can't believe... I thought I was all by myself on this Oregon thing, and no, no, no. I totally agree I with you. Last week, it's it's real. But what else? How else do you pick? Like, explain more of being around Eugene and Cristobal, who has a completely different approach than what they've been trying to do on offense there. And as you mentioned, it melding of I don't know if that's really even a word. Word. Um, oh, it's a word. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it's, the the two different styles here. Right, because they yeah. pushed Stanford around on both lines of scrimmage in a way that I hadn't seen Stanford pushed around uh, other than that loss a few years ago, which is like the only time David Shaw's team looked on David Shaw's when they got smashed by Washington uh, a couple years ago. I couldn't believe yeah. what I saw. And I'm also starting to wonder maybe Stanford stinks because they still can't run the football. Um, they couldn't run the football the other night against Utah, which was weird. But I'm with you on this Oregon thing that they're, if they hadn't pissed away that game – I'd actually feel like they were the favorites to win the Pac-12. Again, it depends on what happens this week. But, yeah, if you could explain that more, because I think that is fascinating because it's two very different styles of football they're trying to combine. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Chip Kelly, the system he ran there, is different schematically than what Gus Malzahn does at Auburn, but they're they're kind of of the same spirit where it's this up-tempo, we're going to smash you between the tackles, and that's going to open up the passing game for us. 
and we'll have a quarterback who's a threat to run. The problem is they never could get elite offensive linemen there. They'd get a, a good one every once in a while, but they, they would never have a just top-to-bottom group of five pros. And Cristobal is a very good recruiter. You know, he, he played offensive line at Miami. He's been one of the better offensive line coaches in the country. So he knows exactly what he's looking for. It's a matter of getting those guys in the boat. But if you get one or two of them in the boat, then more of them want to come. The guy to watch for Oregon is number 58, the left tackle, Penny Sewell. He's a true freshman. They, they threw him in because you could not keep him off the field. He's ridiculously powerful. Uh, you know, in the past game, probably that will need some time for him to, to really develop into a great pass blocker. But you can run behind him all day right now. And he's a true freshman. And then they got like four more guys that they're trying to redshirt this year who, if, if they succeed, they could have a good line for years to come. Uh, and then, you know, defensive line, same deal. Chris of all knows what a good defensive line looks like. It's a matter of getting those guys. The, the, I remember Chip Kelly telling me this like in 2010, the hardest player to find in recruiting is that ready-made defensive tackle. And there's so few of them that they all go to Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, Georgia, Auburn. They, they all, Florida State, they, they only go to a few schools because there's so few of them. Um, so you either have to be great, have a great eye and develop those guys, or you got to be able to convince them to come to your school. Now, first of all, is trying to, to use that Oregon cachet and that Oregon cool, but then explain, hey, guys, we're going to hit people. You know, we're going we're gonna to hit a practice. And then we're going to punch people in the mouth on game day. And I think it's starting to, it's starting to take, uh, he brought in a strength coach, Aaron Feld, who was at Georgia last year. Everybody knows he's got the, the crazy handlebar mustache, but it's, this is a guy who knows how to build players, you know, to, to play on the line of scrimmage in the sec. I mean, he was at Georgia. He had volunteered at Alabama. He'd been around, you know, all that, that stuff. So, they have the right ingredients in place. I'm not sure they're ready yet, but the thing is with Oregon, you probably only have Herbert this year. I mean, maybe he comes back next year to play with his brother, but if if they say you're going to be the number one pick in the draft, you got to go. So it's weird because you feel like they got to strike right now. Otherwise they may miss the window. Though I will say with all the transfers that may be uh, available this point next year, there's a few guys that seem to fit that very well. Final thought before I let you go. So playoff as of now, the likelihood you think would be Bama. I would say Bama, Ohio state, Notre Dame, and then either Georgia or the big 12 champ, depending on who that is. Um, I think, I think a one loss big 12 champ gets in over uh, a, Definitely over a two-loss, you know, team, SEC team that doesn't win the conference title. Uh, the, the tricky part for the other leagues is if you get a situation in the SEC championship game where it's twelve and zero against twelve and zero, yeah, and it's a close game. Now that could be erased this week because I think there's a really good chance Georgia goes to LSU and loses. Yeah, them losing to Florida didn't do Georgia any favors. Although I am no god, a, now, Georgia yeah. faces the ultimate like wounded cornered animal. And that wounded cornered animal happens to live in Tiger Stadium, which right. feels like a really bad place to deal with a wounded cornered animal. But I give Georgia credit for this. Watching them most weeks this season, times where it hasn't looked great, then they 
they step it up and kill you. And yeah, that's, that's impressive. Like some of these teams that are good and you're like, oh, you screwed around for four whole quarters and you won again. Georgia will screw around a little bit and then go, okay, enough of this. And yeah, I feel like they have that. They have that murder gear. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Alabama's <laughs> in murder gear all the time. Georgia has to shift into it, but it's not like Clemson where sometimes they never actually shift into it. Exactly. Always does at some point here in the game. Yes. Clemson's not shown us enough murder. gear. I think Penn state has had some weird games where I go, I don't have a problem with them having a top 10 ranking. And I was there for the Ohio state game. They very well could have won that game. Um, but they've got some other blemishes there, but they're not being held against them because again, it's a carryover. Same thing as a carryover for Clemson and, and people giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm afraid that LSU at times, and I think we saw this in the Auburn game, like Les would win games despite how weird the game would play out. And you go, how did LSU win that? Yeah. You'd be leaving the stadium with your buddies going, I have no idea how LSU won that game, but they'd still win them. And then they started losing them. Right. And I'm afraid the Auburn game gave us a glimpse into what could happen at Florida and the offense. Now, I don't want to judge LSU's offense on just one game alone because that front for Florida is stupid. How good those dudes are. Yeah. Ja'Kai Polite is a guy that polite, the, the, the people right are defensive end. Right? Yeah. But he's awesome. Yeah. I mean, he was, he implanted himself into uh, Burroughs' lower back probably enough where you go, can we leave anyone in on this guy? Um, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm wondering a little bit if LSU is going to have some moments here the rest of the way offensively when it's like, I really need you on third and seven to be a team I'm not betting against. So I don't, I don't know. It'll be the voodoo. It'll be all the weird stuff. It'll be their defense. But I am a little worried that LSU's offense is regressing, if that makes any sense. The part that concerned me about LSU more than the offense was the fact that Florida could run the ball when it needed to run the ball. And that's not a Florida that offensive happen. line that's been able to open holes when they needed to. And when you're going to play Georgia, which has, you know, they may be, Georgia may be playing three freshmen on the offensive line this week, but the problem is they're like five star freshmen who will be first round draft picks. Uh, <laughs> You don't want to deal with a team. You don't want to be the kind of team that can be run on when you need to run on them if you're playing Georgia. And so I, I that's the part that, because I didn't think that was LSU. I thought LSU would be the team that you just couldn't run on them. And if you were going to beat them, you had to throw over the top and take some risks. And But that's not that's not the way Florida beat them. Oh, the corners are so good. You may not want to throw at them, but to see a team run up, the yardage total that Florida had against LSU that just doesn't happen. And, and there was a graphic for it too. So this isn't even like hyperbole. It's just, it's true. It doesn't happen. And Florida was incredible there. Uh, you're the best man. Thank you so much. And it looks like uh, I probably see you on the road at some point. I still have like three or four more games. Oh yeah. Well, that's what we, we need to get together in Baton Rouge so I can discuss you just one more time eating a 64 ounce steak next year. Are you going to be there for Bama? Well, here's, here's the problem. So we just hired this great new guy at SI, uh, Ross Dellinger. Yeah, I read his he, piece He today. covered LSU for the Baton Rouge Advocate. He <laughs> lives in Baton Rouge, so <laughs> now SI is like, well, you don't need to go to Baton Rouge. We already got somebody there. How did you but let that happen? You, you should have said, this guy's a hack. No. He, like, you don't want to hire this guy. <laughs> I know. Guy. It's all my fault. I'm the one who recommended him. <laughs> no, he's really good. He just wrote up a piece on, on our boy Brandon Landry from Walk-Ons. And ironically enough, yep. how the 2003 win against Georgia and Tiger Stadium kind of changed everything. Like Bonnet's in there, a bunch of former players, and, and they talk about that game saying that kind of changed it changed things for LSU. So uh, anyway, enjoy. What do you also got this weekend? The expectations were they better win the national title yeah, every year? Or right, else? right. Yeah, now totally irrational fans. Where are you headed this week? Uh, I am home this week. All and right. then uh, 
we, we kind of changed the model where I, I head out a lot during the week and, uh, and then come back and, and watch all the games during the, the weekend. So like last week I was, I was in Eugene to get some stuff on Oregon before they played Washington. And, uh, then I happened to go to Florida LSU cause it was eight miles from my house. But normally I'm just kind of taking everything in. Perfect. Well, hopefully, like I said, I'll see you out there, and I really appreciate your time, and thanks, uh, as always. You can check them out on sportsillustratedsi.com. want to make sure we get Chris Fowler trivia in this week. The question, in 2004, who led the country in pass attempts with 642 Sonny Cumbie? I was just going to guess that. So before I do my conference breakdown, because I did a bunch of stuff and I wrote it all down, and it's going to go fast, and I know I speak too fast on this podcast anyway, all podcasts, all formats. But I'm going to go really fast because it's a lot of stuff, but there's a point to it all. You may hate it. But before you do that, save yourself a little money. Or maybe get you and the lady uh, surprise her with a hotel room. You know? I've never booked a hotel room in my life. so You haven't? No. Way to endorse the brand over there, Kyle. Uh, here's Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. <laughs> right, right. All right. We'll get you set up. How about this? I'll pay for your first hotel tonight booking. Huh? Deal. All right, done. Don't do something stupid, though, like where I have to then get in a fight with Bill about how much you spent. Here's a little insider travel secret from all of our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked, and Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell these unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. And it works, folks. It works. I've had it on my phone even before we started doing ads with these guys. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you got to try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists. I hate those desktop you're scrolling through it like i don't want a car no i don't care that james purse is having a sale right now because hotel tonight is the app right on your phone and it shows you exactly everything you need a list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think that you're going to love and they give you short profiles of each hotel complete with all the info you need and pictures of what the rooms really look like plus even though their names hotel tonight they're not just there for last minute bookings you can now book in advance i'm headed to nashville i've already booked it on hotel tonight perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. And like I said, Nashville, we're coming for you because the Bushmans aren't letting me stay with them. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. Because I've done a couple things to start the podcast with the NFL, our new question segment that we'll try to do every week, I'm going to just put my feet up here on your couch and your brain and I'm going to run through everybody's non-conference of all the Power Fives because some of you out there, including my one friend, Danny Canale, ex-partner, like you're already losing your minds about the SEC rankings, the SEC bias, all the stuff over and over again. A lot of you guys thought, wait a minute, if Rosillo has a ringer pod, does that mean he's going to start pimping the Pac-12 all the time now? No. Uh, and as much as I think I've stuck up for the Pac-12 when others didn't, it's tough to stick up for it right now. So my point would be this. This past weekend started turning into, as I mentioned with Andy Staples, like, oh, LSU lost to Florida. All right, they lost a one-score game. Um, Kentucky. All right, did you think they were awesome? Because Kentucky, to this point, had beaten Central Michigan. They won at Florida, uh, which hadn't happened in forever town. And then, what is it? We got a Murray State win here. Yep, the racers went down, went down hard. And the rest of it, okay, South Carolina, blah, blah, blah. Then they lose... Kentucky loses to AM. All right. So here's my point is that if you're doing the, ah, the SEC is not really that good. Look at these rankings. This whole thing sucks. Two teams aren't getting in. Uh, I don't know if two teams are going to get in. Some weird stuff would have to happen. Georgia Bama would have to still be 12 and 0. But 
anytime any of this stuff happens in these kind of comparative arguments, I would say, yeah, okay, I think the SEC on the whole hasn't been nearly as deep as when it was in its prime years, when it was undoubtedly the number one. I was willing to even accept other nominations of other conferences that might be better. The problem is if you're doing the, oh, the SEC sucks and it's overrated thing, do you want to play that game with your conference? Do you want to sit there, look in the mirror, and tell you that you're hot when you know that you aren't? Because I did it this morning, and it's ugly for everybody else too. Clemson, all right, your best wins at A&M. That might be the best thing I have to offer up here for the ACC. NC State, 5-0, and by the way. Their canceled game against West Virginia. That's the most impressive thing on their non-conference. Boston College lost at Purdue. Cuse, their best win, UConn. Um, <laughs> look, Florida State, they haven't played anybody yet. We know that they're not good. So Florida State's another one of those preseason teams. You're like, oh, they might be all right. Now, we, we already know that that's not going to happen. Florida State, by the way, was... Ranked 19th. Um, they still have Notre Dame and Florida remaining. Wake, they've got a loss there. What? Notre Dame, 56-27. Louisville, they're brutal. They're not as good as we thought they would be, at least just be competitive. They got smoked by Bama week one. By the way, they got killed by Georgia Tech. I know that's not non-conference there. That was 66-33. So out of that entire group, we have what? <laughs> Okay, that's half of your ACC. You have the win by Clemson down at A&M. That's that's good. And and here's the thing. That doesn't mean much for Clemson because it's still Clemson. I am a little worried about them lately because I still I I thought they were going to be like really nasty and crush everybody. Miami, they're five and one. Okay, but they lost against LSU in what felt a little bit more like an LSU home game. But still, like, let's not even go there. And Miami, I'm not even sure how good you guys are preseason. You were number eight. And you've ripped off five straight, change of quarterback. Virginia Tech, you lost to Old Dominion, and you got smashed by Notre Dame at your place this past Saturday. Ryan Willis is in a quarterback, but still, and he came in during the Old Dominion loss. Pitt, you've lost to Penn State 51-6, to UCF 45-14. to Next, UVA, you lost to Indiana. UNC, oh my God, UNC fans. I mean, how dismal has this been? UNC sitting there at 1-3 on the year. Um, they lost to Cal by a touchdown. And they lost to ECU, and ECU isn't even part of my normal formula here. I'm just throwing that in. Georgia Tech, yay against the win against Louisville. Right now, you guys are in second to last place in the Coastal at 3-3 three and three with a loss at USF. I put USF in there because why not give them a little bit of love. Duke, by the way, who's in last of the Coastal. Um, and that's ridiculous because they're only 0-1. I mean, they're 4-1 overall. They have better records than all these other teams in front of them. They're killing it. Duke's killing it. Duke is the other Clemson at Northwestern, a win and a win against Baylor, both by uh, more than a touchdown. So that's like, so basically I just went through the entire ACC and we knew it was down. So again, I'm just pointing this out. ACC fan. Ah, the ACC sucks. Don't look at your records. Let's try another conference. They're called the big 12. There's not 12 teams. That joke is old. West Virginia's 5-0. Smash Tennessee opening week. NC State game canceled. Texas. They lost to Maryland. They beat USC. Okay, that's pretty good. So what do we got there? A win against USC team that was preseason. Let's do this game again. Kyle, is this boring and monotonous yet? Not yet. Not yet. I'm waiting to see where this goes. Yeah, because it's going to. All right, so USC was, see, like the whole theme of this is all of these teams that we thought were going to be good, there's a lot of them that aren't. USC is now 3-2 and and behind Colorado in the Pac-12 South. Uh, that's great. They beat Washington State and Arizona, but that was after getting smashed by Stanford and blowing a lead against Texas. Oklahoma, you beat UCLA. So is everybody else. Baylor, you lost to Duke. Just mentioned it. TCU, lost to Ohio State. Texas Tech, 
lost. And I'm not just picking losses. I'm going, I'm ruling out all your non-Power 5 components, and I'm putting everybody's Power 5 matchup here. So L, L, L. Ole Miss scored a million on you. Iowa State, you lost to Iowa. Oklahoma State. Okay, you beat Boise State, but let me know if you have any idea what's going on with Oklahoma State. We know there's some transfer stuff there. Kansas, yay, the birthplace of it all. Smashed Rutgers. Love it. K-State, they're not good this year. They lost to Mississippi State by 21 points. So what jumps out there? Texas against USC? The Boise State win by Oklahoma State? There's not a lot to pick from there. UCLA? No. Okay, Big Ten. Big Ten fans going in. There was a couple people that said there's no way the SEC is even close to the Big Ten. Those Big Ten teams would be awesome. I would say collectively, collectively those Big Ten teams haven't been as good as we thought that they would be. Whether that's Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, uh, Ohio State's been fine. By the way, Ohio State was preseason five in the AP. Just uh, the coaches had them third. So Ohio State, they beat Oregon State by a million. They beat TCU. Really good stuff there. Okay, that's terrific. Michigan, they're 5-1. and one. They're 12th now. They lost to Notre Dame. That Notre Dame score was close. The game was not close. Penn State at number 8. Um, they beat Pitt 51-6, to six, but they, they almost lost to App State week 1. They had that weird game against Illinois where they ended up winning by 30, but they were down late or in the third quarter, and you could argue they should have beaten Ohio State, but I think you could look at Penn State at number eight and say, I don't know if they've really been improved, but I'm not going to knock them for it. There's a little carryover. There's nothing fraudulent about it. I know who some of the players are. We're good. Maryland, you beat Texas. That's going to end up looking really good if Texas keeps this thing rolling. Maybe Maryland was super hyped up after all the stuff that they were dealing with, um, and you get a different version of them. Maryland's not great. Uh, Indiana, they beat Virginia. We've been over this. Michigan State lost at Arizona State. Michigan State's been a huge disappointment. Rutgers lost to Kansas. We've been over it. All right, Wisconsin. Uh, preseason, Wisconsin was fourth with actually a number one overall vote, and now Wisconsin is ranked 15th. But they lost to BYU, who feels like they played everybody. I think BYU's played 20 games, and everybody else has played five or six. Northwestern lost to Duke. They also lost to Akron, by the way. Iowa beat Iowa State. Illinois lost to USF. Purdue lost to Missouri. They did beat BC, though. And Minnesota, like, you want me to give them credit for a Fresno State win? That's not happening. Nebraska has lost to everybody, including Colorado and Troy. So you got Ohio State. You've got the Maryland win against Texas. Uh, You know, am I supposed to be excited because Purdue beat BC when BC was ranked for like a six-minute stretch? I'm not. Pac-12, this is brutal. Washington lost to Auburn. Competitive game. Thought it could have gone either way, depending on which fan base you were. And uh, they also beat BYU, and BYU was number 20th. Again, BYU played everybody. Stanford losing Notre Dame, 38-17. That Stanford win against Oregon is misleading. It's a mirage. They are not that good. They can't run the football. It's really, really weird. So um, I, I expect that thing to almost mess up Oregon's season. Washington State, they're 5-1, and one, by the way. They've played Wyoming, San Jose State, and Eastern Washington, NBD. Oregon, they haven't played anybody Cal, uh, they beat UNC and BYU. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, when I was doing this today, I was like, why has BYU played every single team? Um, Oregon State, they lost to Ohio State. Been over that. How about in the South? Colorado beat Nebraska. USC lost to Texas. Arizona's lost to BYU and Houston. I put Houston in there. Major Applewhite, shout out. Utah hasn't played anybody yet of significance. Arizona State, uh, that win against Michigan State, and then they started losing games. UCLA's losing to everybody, including Cincinnati and Oklahoma. 
Um, one more conference to do, and that is the SEC. Georgia hasn't played anybody. Kentucky, Florida, same thing out of conference. But remember, they all play Georgia Tech, Louisville, Florida State, and Clemson. Mizzou beat Purdue. Vandy lost to Notre Dame. That actually game was close. Tennessee smashed by West Virginia. Bama beat Louisville. Louisville's way worse than we thought they'd be. LSU beat Miami. Nice win there. AM lost to Clemson. Mississippi State win against K-State. K-State stinks. Auburn, that win against Washington, which we felt great about. And maybe Washington will end up being in the playoff mix, but we just don't know what to do with Auburn anymore. Ole Miss put up 47 on Texas Tech to start the season. Arkansas hasn't played anyone. In summation... The point being this, I am willing to accept the argument that some of these ranked teams in the SEC aren't really top 25 worthy, but I would tell you to stop banging your head against the wall, thinking that it'll come back with resumes where you say, oh, they played three top 25 teams and my team only played two top 25 teams. I would put more faith into the committee than that. Okay. I've gone through the mock committee thing twice. They're not total morons. I mean, really the people that argue we have three top 25 opponents and you only have two and think it's the end all be all are usually fan bases. You've you've thrown every argument you can possibly throw at me for over a decade, folks. I've seen all of your arguments from every corner of this beautiful country, and I can swat them down like a transfer from Nigeria that's 30 playing high school hoops, okay? I, with a just a doctored birth certificate. I hate those stories. They're so horrifying, especially if I were a parent. But I'm not, so I shouldn't get too bummed out about it. If you're yelling about the SEC and you're yelling about where the rankings are and whose schedule is what and where the wins are, almost none of you none of you have that many impressive wins. You just don't. So don't worry about it because there's a great argument to be made that your comp- the ACC has been a letdown, the top of the Big Ten has been a letdown, the Pac-12 has been a letdown. Honestly, the Big 12 could have more depth. I'm not going to knock Oklahoma for losing a rivalry game against Texas because throw the records out. If you've heard that before, people should say that more. Um, that's my overall point on what we've seen at just before the halfway point and before we get these college football playoff rankings coming out in a couple of weeks. Please subscribe to the Dual Threat Podcast by me, Ryan Rosillo, on our Ringer Podcasts. And I did a sit down with Simmons and KOC, and that was fun. We did some MVP talk. I don't know if he's trying to squeeze a little bit ex, uh, you know, out of the rye guy here. If he rolls around, um, gotta stop I, showing up early. <laughs> gotta stop showing up early. I try. I was here early today, and then I couldn't get a sandwich. All right, that's not interesting anymore. I just went through sixty team schedules, so let's just stop while we're ahead. Mm-hmm.